Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cooper Cold podcast, where we present in-depth conversations with Canadian and international artists in conjunction with their exhibitions at our gallery. My name is Magdalene Asimakis, and I'm the Director of Research and Artist Relations at Cooper Cole, a contemporary art gallery that was established in 2012. This episode features a conversation between the Toronto-based artists Janine Marsh and Alex Turgeon, who currently have a collaborative exhibition installed in Cooper Cole's downstairs gallery entitled The City. Janine is an artist who uses sculpture and installation to explore themes of agency, mortality, and value. Coins, as well as other paraphernalia related to exchange and contact, such as casts of hands, purses, and flowers, are manipulated through serialized processes of destruction and transformation to cultivate illicit and intimate responses to the shared conditions of end-stage capitalism. Alex is an interdisciplinary artist concerned with how poetic spaces of architecture and the built space of language can embody queer subjectivity through the formal positioning of material and poetic text. His artistic practice finds forms through poetry, sculpture, video and performance, as well as drawing amongst many other expanded media. For their current exhibition, Janine and Alex comment on the profound difficulties and dangers of living in Toronto, and by extension in urban centres and in capitalist structures. The walls of the exhibition are covered in wallpaper made by Alex, depicting skyscrapers made of small letters and words. This work extends into framed and hanging wallworks depicting buildings and skylines, including the CN Tower. His works are staggered amongst Janine's, whose works consist of sculptural assemblages made of found materials like coins, flowers, and newspapers hanging from the walls and ceiling. Scattered on the floor are dozens of tiny plastic scale model figures, coins, sand, and detritus, which together are a work by Janine entitled This City. Now here's some background on the artists. Janine is a Toronto-based artist who received her BFA from the Alberta University of the Arts and her MFA from the University of Guelph. Her work has been exhibited in Canadian galleries such as Franz Kaka in Toronto, Centre Clark in Montreal, Griffin Art Projects in Vancouver, and Vidange in Montreal. She's also exhibited in international museums and galleries including Night Gallery in Los Angeles, Essex Flowers in New York, the Palais de Tokyo in Paris, Johnny Manhattan in Vienna, OSL Contemporary in Oslo, Entree Gallery, and Lulu in Mexico City. She's three times served as an artist-in-residence at the Banff Centre for the Arts, as well as AIR Bergen, La Dacha in Berlin, Soma in Mexico City, Rupert in Vilnius, and Vermont Studio Centre. Alex lives and works in Toronto and received his BFA from Emily Carr University of Art and Design and his MFA from Rutgers University. His work has been presented at Ashley in Berlin, Or Gallery in Vancouver, Sans Serif in Amsterdam, Franz Kaka in Art Metropole in Toronto, the Tate Liverpool, Tunnel Tunnel in Lausanne, KW Institute for Contemporary Art in Berlin, and the Contemporary Art Centre in Vilnius. He was also part of Poetry as Practice in the online exhibition series hosted by Rhizome and the New Museum in New York in 2015. Love Poems for Series, his first collection of poetry, was published with Broken Dimanche Press in Berlin in 2017. He will participate as the first Canadian artist-in-residence in the forthcoming Junge Academy program at Academie der Kunst in Berlin. So that's a bit about the artists. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. So thank you all for joining us, and welcome Janine and Alex. Hello. Hi. Um, To start, I would love it uh, if you could each say a few words about your individual practices um, and maybe some of the major questions you ask in your work. I think it's always a nice place to start. Sure. (laughs) Um, My practice is based around sculpture and installation. Um, And most of the questions that I'm asking myself have to do with uh, agency and mortality Uh, within a capitalist structure um, and kind of trying to use sculpture and installation and material practices and physical contact as a way of producing possibly agency or spaces of reaction and contemplation. Um, So a lot of my work has uh, very familiar materials that are kind of just around and uh, as inexpensive as possible 
um, just having to do with necessity also um, as an artist living in a very expensive world, a very difficult world. Um, so I use a lot of coins that I scavenge and scrounge and um, am given from friends from their trips, sort of like the international collection of scraps, <laughs> and, which I then destroy. <laughs> and then um, I also use a lot of organic materials like flowers and soil, um, sort of as a a mirror body or uh, a body that you can empathize with uh, an organic body outside of uh, human definitions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And um, on my end of the spectrum, um, I uh, my work I I think of it's situated between the poetic space of architecture and the constructive space of language, and how those two inform notions of gender and sexuality, and also against a kind of backdrop, I would say, at the um, kind of immediate backdrop of what could be understood as gentrification. So that is something that it's expanded beyond just physical space, but also ways of thinking and being in the world as well. It's kind of um, homogeneity that maybe occurs uh, through that process, not necessarily um, only based on real estate and sort of movement of bodies based on that or the pushing away of of locality and the importing of a kind of ideology or ideology or ideal that then is very um yeah based on capital so a lot of there's a lot of similarities i think with between the, both of our work and so that's that's kind of how we came to to be thinking about working together especially for this project and I often think about buildings um, in the reference to architecture as kind of placeholders for bodies. So maybe in the way of which Janine utilizes these organic materials as kind of like physical relations. I also think of buildings and constructed space as a kind of similar language. And there's something really interesting that happens when those two come together, I think really poetically in cities and cityscapes. Yeah, what I like about this exhibition and your your work together, it is considering these similar issues, but it's taking such a different approach to it. So it creates such a lovely dialogue between your work. And um, maybe it would be uh, good to talk about the concept of the exhibition as well. So it, it is very much situated in Toronto, but also speaks to larger structures around capitalism and, and gentrification as well. Yeah, I guess I can kind of start that um, conversation. So, yeah, we had been kind of in dialogue for the past year thinking about these themes and how our work is situated together, but not necessarily, of course, the same by any means. And there is a nice kind of balance, I think, of maybe polarities, you could maybe say, or there's a kind of physical and then maybe more ephemeral thing happening in both cases. But one really based in the sculptural tradition and then one more based in maybe a concrete poetics, uh, which has a different, which both have different kind of transactionary qualities, but also uh, um, like distributive qualities as well, I think, um, especially thinking about like public space. And yeah, I, I mean, for me, the work from the ex in the exhibition kind of came from a kind of immediacy of of being newly in Toronto and kind of responding to this new environment after having been uh, in a different place um, before that in many different places. So kind of thinking about this new life that I've kind of invented for myself, I guess, or, or uh, established for myself since moving here a year ago and wanting to kind of respond to that through, through this kind of this language that of, of perception, but also um, like the language that I was being, uh, I was receiving, but also kind of applying to this space that now is home. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess just like reflecting on the different landscape that the city purports itself to be, but also how it, maybe that that disconnect between its vision and its functionality, um, I think has a lot of uh, generative qualities in in developing critical language around how, um, yeah, these themes like capitalism, gentrification, um, industry, also like post-industrial landscapes kind of um, come together. 
So the works in this exhibition, are they, were they made all in response to Toronto or were there others that were made in, in response to the city as a structure itself? I think for me, the, the theme of the city kind of is like the idea that draws us together in this show and what makes this exhibition an exhibition rather than two people's work in a room. I think it's like the, the bonding agent. Um, I made my work uh, from my practice, new works, of course, and also knowing that they'd be presented with Alex's works, but uh, I don't, I don't, I didn't make work about Toronto for <laughs> this exhibition, but it's a huge part of, I think like the texture of a lot of the materials that I choose. And it's a lot, a huge part of the processes that I use, such as like train pressing coins um, and scavenging materials from places like train tracks. Um, uh, what do you feel, Alex? Yeah, I mean, there's like, for me, there's a very explicit reference to Toronto in the exhibition because uh, <laughs> I have this sort of this typewriting of a image of the CN Tower. And and of course, that is in direct response to a kind of locality. But um, also, I think like, for me, having lived in various different places, uh, different countries, uh, there's something very Canadian about that image. And so kind of also reflecting on that national identity, which I'm kind of like re reimagining for myself now living more permanently in Canada again, and thinking about the how those images are manufactured, I guess, within capital cities and um, the few that, you know, these kind of like metropolises that exist in Canada as a whole. And and also how they, there's a kind of um, like a similarity between structures uh, thinking about, I don't have anything in the show that relates to this, but there's a kind of interesting formularity between like the CN Tower and the TV Tower in Berlin and kind of thinking about these ideas of like, past and present and how they become benchmarked or bookmarked by the architectural spaces that are kind of omnipresent in the places that I live and, and operate in. And I think also, you know, moving here and relatively recently and, and trying to develop a studio practice, it's also like, well, how do I kind of do that with, again, this kind of um, minimal means <laughs> and uh, and thinking about how to make something that I think communicates but also reflects too and um i also think that yeah i just wanted to explore this kind of very antiquated technology of the typewriter uh within a sort of modern or contemporary context um while also reflecting on the history of concrete poetry both in toronto and elsewhere and and uh how that can be maybe like rejuvenated for a contemporary context well, I think that's a great segue into, you know, bringing up the topic of text. It has a very prominent position in this exhibition. Individually and collaboratively, Alex, text factors heavily in your work because you're a poet. Writing filters into the visual aspects of your objects and installation as well. And Janine, you know, text has always been sort of adjacent to your practice, but you've really brought it into the sculptural aspect of your work. Um, this new work in the presentation. And then extending from that, you both wrote the exhibition text collaboratively, which sort of feels like a work itself. It's very poetic. So I was hoping that you could both speak to the role of text in this exhibition and, and why it holds such a prominent place for you. Um, well, the exhibition text we worked on collaboratively. It was a back and forth and, you know, I kind of like architected something kind of relatively as is and then we worked on developing the language around that foundational structure together so um it I definitely felt like is... a sort of like a violent editor that he... <laughs> 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 like alex wrote something wonderful and then i came in and did sort of like a um ch chop chop uh yeah. <laughs> just sort of like uh mix it up and change the language a little bit to make it uh a language that uh, reflected us both, I guess. Mm. Um, but I, I do. I feel like I should be a, a, a subheading of, of like violent editor rather than author. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if 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 that's what you wish, <laughs> but I don't. I don't see you in those terms. But um, yeah. So I, 
yeah, I just kind of come to wrote poetry and writing honestly because of an economy of means of and a kind of um uh, like kind of uh what's the word like um moving around a lot basically and so not really having so much of a place that I call like a permanent at least in the past five years um so kind of acquiring materials then you're getting rid of them and moving them around and so thinking like what is the kind of most economic model between that that is a spans all those different places and and uh yeah so so my work you know whether or not it even like not everything has text in it in, in my work this exhibition is of course example is an example of how much text can exist and is an opportunity to really kind of go ham i think on that as a kind of um aesthetic and and but but it's always been something that i've been kind of played with and toyed with and kind of woven in and out and and then sometimes it's been um maybe more masked or um camouflaged in the work or maybe something more related to the way in which it it comes to be rather than the way in which it actually is made so i kind of have this like push and pull with these these sort of definitions of artist or these distinctions between artist and poet and and because i just think of it all as art really <laughs> i'm not like a trained poet or never studied poetry i just kind of came to it through an interest in trying to 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 reflect on um my my context my, the situations that i experience or or um have yeah been a part of or and trying to create make something creative that uh that doesn't really cost anything <laughs> um so in some way that's that's definitely present here in this exhibition too <laughs> mm -hmm. um and then and Janine text is, you know, it sort sort of filters uh, pretty prominently in this body of work. And I found the story so interesting and in how you um, first incorporated it into the sculptures when you were in Banff. So I think, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think it would be great to hear the story and the process. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I've, I've always written um, mostly like exhibition text for myself or for friends um, and a couple of reviews and a couple of other various <laughs> texts, short stories, um, but it's never actually come in contact physically with my uh, visual art, my sculpture. Um, and then I did a residency at the Banff Center this summer. Uh, it was like uh, the faculty was Candace Lin and Mel Y. Chen and some other really incredible, inspiring people. Um, and because it's all the way in Banff, I didn't bring a whole lot of materials with me. Just it didn't make sense financially. Um, but I did bring a couple issues of this newspaper that I started a subscription to called uh, People's Voice. And it's produced in Toronto and it's a hundred year long running socialist newspaper. And it, it still exists in physical form. You can get it online, but it's still this like paper on broad, broadsheet paper. Um, and I so I brought all the issues that I'd sort of accumulated and hadn't read yet just having had this subscription, which everyone should get, by the way, it's very affordable. Um, and I read through them at the BAMP Center, sort of like a morning uh, sort of schedule thing, just relax, read the paper. And I started noticing all these uh, really interesting sort of uh, ticks of language and repetitions and patterns of language, um, where on the one hand, uh, this socialist communist language is relying so heavily on mirroring the language of capitalism because that's what it is in contrast to. But it actually really, really uses that language um, without really transforming it a lot. <laughs> so like I started by cutting out just financial figures and numbers and uh, the number of times the word billion was used. That's kind of where I started just seeing seeing the, the amount of like um, capital dialogue. Um, and then started also noticing this repetition of very historic sort of um, out of time kind of language, like um, peasants <laughs> and comrades um, and uh, salutations, <laughs> like these kind of 
kind of words and phrasings that really belong to me to uh, a history of socialism or of revolutions or revolutionaries uh, that have all failed, obviously. Um, so it's this really great mashup of time, out of time, out of place, failure language <laughs> and very masculine, uh, very like sort of militarized masculine language of rise up brothers and sisters um, and this uh, rehashing of basically capitalist news and figures. Um, so I just started digesting that and taking it apart and kind of starting to think about how 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 my expectations for this newspaper really didn't uh, match what it was. Like I was kind of expecting something a bit more creative, a bit more poetic somehow, like and a bit more um, based in a future rather than based in a past, mm -hmm. um, because that's the whole aim of it, of course. So I started using the language um, collaged, rehashed, collected, very um, not with knowing the outcome, not cr to create a poem, but more to create like lists and accumulations. Um, and then started applying them to flowers and coins in my work, um, sort of recontextualizing those objects and those pieces. And like I mentioned before, and Alex mentioned using coins and flowers as sort of placeholders for bodies. It is also sort of a way of uh, really physically trying to uh, uh, impose on those objects uh, change and a sort of transformation through language. That's so fascinating. And yeah, I mean, I, that would surprise me as well, because I would assume that the that in its language as well, that there would be a subversive gesture towards something more, you know, just imagining a future a little bit more. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so in your work, is it is it about making that gesture that transformative gesture towards something more more embracing of a different kind of politic through process mm -hmm. yeah definitely i think that's what i try to frame art as i guess as an artist as a person as this actually active actually useful process like i know so many people say art's not political but uh, I think on a small scale, individual basis, it completely is. Um, I've also been reading a lot about uh, utopian literature and utopian visions uh, recently as this, it's not about escapism and it's not about um, presenting a blueprint for a potential future. It's more about educating, uh, relearning a way to like desire change. Like it's a way of like stimulating desire in a way sort of stimulating uh the the actual just the space in your mind for something different um so that's kind of <laughs> how i'm picturing this uh shift or this collaging or mishmash chip chop of language in my works as like more creating space and potential even just for myself yeah absolutely i will i did want to ask about you know the not the role of as much as the topic of capitalism in both your works, um, because it's obviously really heavily there. Um, in terms of the, you know, the topic of capitalism, do you see, but this question is for both of you, but do you see your work as um, presenting an alternative or is it, is it more around critique? How does, how do you address the issue of, of capitalism in the objects themselves? Alex, do you want to start with that? Sure. Um, well, I guess I could say that it's it's more of a critique than it is, and it's in in any way like uh, offering a kind of new methodology <laughs> or, or politics. Really, it's it's a way of kind of responding to yeah the world in which it's governed by these these things, and I guess as art objects because that's of course the irony you know this is a commercial space <laughs> with with art objects which you know often have a kind of price associated with them but um i kind of in some way uh with the with the use of the of concrete poetry it, it somehow kind of subverts that in some i think in some way because it is so ephemeral at least with this kind of wallpaper installation that's I don't think of it as something that you could necessarily buy um, but it is a kind of way of reflecting um, the way in which the cityscapes 
become altered or um, interacted with through forms of advertising, forms of capital, these kind of postering, which also has its own whole kind of um, activist tradition. Um, and then kind of putting that into this context where like art can be, um, is, has been, because it's something I've used in the past often, um, as a way of kind of bridging those uh, liminal spaces of inside and outside and and the spaces in which kind of define access and denial which i which are obviously very based on uh forms of capital so who can go in and who can who who can't kind of things um and kind of trying to create a more obfuscating of those divisionary principles and yeah so i mean there's some works behind glass but I mean, the kind of mimicking in a lot of way of a kind of archival or um, anachronistic methodology of, of exhibiting things um, in this tradition. I think the issue of being complicit is actually a really interesting one uh, as an artist and as just a human um, that, you know, we are all complicit in so a system that well, most of us uh don't identify with or wouldn't choose if if we were given actual <laughs> political power. Um, I think that being complicit also allows you to have empathy for yourself and for others. And also it is this kind of space space to work from because once you're complicit, you you are a part of it. You are actually um, a mole <laughs> in the system. Um, you're already sort of in uh, you've worked your way into the the world um, rather than being outside of it, uh, like locked outside of it. Say um, in like imperialism, like there is no access to kings and queens, uh, but perhaps now uh, we're all sort of, uh, we're all complicit. We're all, um, uh, we all belong to the market. The market is above and beyond us all rather than the kings and queens. Anywho, I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, it does. I mean, I love I love that you brought up empathy and it made me think immediately of the flowers in your work. And mm -hmm. the question I, I was wondering, because you said it was a stand in for the body, which I find really fascinating. And mm -hmm. do you see that then as as an entry point into your work or do you see it as something relational with the with the other materials or both? Probably, you know, mm -hmm. Um and I, and just as a material question as well, I'm, uh, it would be great to hear about how you treat the flowers as well, yeah, that they are, sure. so that they can live frozen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I got kind of fascinated and obsessed with certain materials and processes and using flowers in this way has been like a, a big one for like, I don't know, seven years or something, six, seven years. Um, so my process is to always purchase flowers from like a grocery store or a cheap florist. They're always sort of the uh, cheapest, most resilient sort of robust flowers. Like most of the time they're daisies or some kind of similar, like a mum. Uh, and I take them to my studio and I sort of massage them with this synthetic rubber. It's very similar to latex. Um, so it dries, flexible, um, it's been formulated to be more uh, long lasting than old versions of latex. So it has the sort of implied longevity um, and the process of massaging uh, this synthetic rubber into the flowers and then letting them cure and dry. Uh, it, it preserves them so that they stay exactly in their form and shape and it sort of absorbs into the organic molecular structure um, in a way that uh, dipping it in paint doesn't, where it's more of like a coating, this actually sort of saturates it. Um, and it actually extends the, the duration of its dying process. So like if I crack open one of these flowers that I've uh, massaged with this uh, material, even like a month later, it will still smell like a fresh flower. Whereas if it had been just on my desk, it would have you know, um, shriveled up <laughs> wow. and dried up or, or rotten and gone moldy. So like it, it does this really strange sort of um, uh, biodome, <laughs> I guess, where it's like locked in uh, a flower uh, nutrients and everything. It just sort of slowly dies off of them. And it does, it does eventually die. Um, so what I'm really interested in is this um, desire or impulse 
to preserve, um, to sort of freeze time, um, and also to sort of extend the process of dying, this process of, of decay and loss um, in these in these flowers. They they sit in this really interesting contradictory space of being beautiful and lifelike and living and being dead and sort of a almost a representation of themselves or a stand-in for something for themselves, a stand-in for a living flower. Um, and I like this contradiction. Um, and you asked me how the work functions, if it's maybe like a, an access point for viewers. And I think it is, it functions extremely intuitively for myself. So I assume that for a viewer, it also functions very intuitively, like semi-consciously. That's where I want it to work, sort of to, to trigger thoughts and uh, impressions and emotions and relationships between the objects as presented. Um, and sometimes with their titles as well. Um, because I, I don't have any kind of answers or solutions. <laughs> I don't have any answers or solutions for capitalism or for life or for living and dying in capitalism, but I, I'm trying to allow this, these intuitive, um, processes that are repeated in a very sort of serialized manner, repeated, repeated, um, so maybe similarly to, to Alex's, uh, structural use of, of five and of, of stacks of letters and words um, in his works, sort of allowing this space of repetition um, to be generative rather than a trap, rather than a lockdown, um, which is kind of also, I think, what Alex is saying and also what uh, I feel about how cities function as these sort of uh, models that are placed around the globe and they're all very similar, extremely similar. Um, like. Uh, especially once you're in the downtown cores of cities where it's all glass and, and cement, um, sort of these repeated structures and then finding uh, uh, handholds within those, those glossy structures <laughs> or those um, strange repetitions or sort of like mazes of repetitions uh, to create something different or find something different. Really well said. <laughs> um... <laughs> And you've said before that the that both of your work has a similar ethos of scrounging. I, I like that you use the term scrounging, innovating, essentially reshuffling forms that already exist uh, in our world. I'm curious about this, if you can both speak about this and, and how you think about it similarly or differently and how it manifests. I guess um, for me, um, it's, it's, a, it's a process of... Um trying to interpret my the context basically of where what I'm experiencing or or kind of conflating maybe also my interests with place as well so a lot of the time I will my work is in response to a location specificity but it isn't necessarily like about that specific place but it utilizes a lot of the I can maybe the iconography in this case or in other places like maybe techniques or methodologies of a location so whether it be the city or uh, the farm or something like this as a as a way of kind of interpreting the the context of my making basically and how it, it kind of can speak to a sphere beyond beyond itself beyond necessarily explicitly for me a kind of bi biography of, of experience but also how it can be extruded into maybe more of a of an interpretation of experience or interpretation of certain thematics which prop propagate or continue in my work so notions of home of architecture of sexuality and how those things become articulated through mediated technologies, I guess, would be the way in which I could define it. And so sourcing from the environment is a way of kind of interpreting or undermining some of these definitions. And I find that for me, that process is a, is a way of queering, which is for me, it's a kind of undermining or un inverting uh, definition. And so using materials and and um, imagery from my like, sourced uh, from these contexts uh, is is part of that I think um, querying process of taking something that exists and then undermining it and finding an alternative or a space between a kind of binary position by utilizing some of those those very materials that create those definitions of 
of opposites, I guess. And so, yeah, rather than necessarily kind of creating new forms of image making, it's it's really about responding to what exists and then from that creating this alternative, for me anyway. That's kind of how I've, I've sort of found myself working, often sourced from research, visual, textual, archival, and then reinterpreted in, in a way to kind of reflect the context of today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's such a powerful gesture, right? Because I think uh, in like going back to the newspaper that you mentioned, Janine, you know, we're so dependent on certain structures that we assume that they are the truth, right? That they are immovable. And so to question that and put that and not only question it, but also put that into play that it can be questioned. I, I don't know, it can have a very strong and visceral uh, effect. Yeah. And like with the use of coins and flowers, I I think I started using uh, the flowers that I do partly because I could get them anywhere. So like if I had an exhibition in Mexico City or in Vienna, I could buy these exact same flowers. They kind of point towards this implied universal space of capitalism where it's like you can get anything you want. <laughs> it's, it's available anywhere. And you don't have to think about where it came from. You don't have to think about the process that it went through to get to you, um, especially with something like purchased flowers like the amount of ecological destruction caused by them is pretty incredible like they're actually really destructive material to use uh they're not in any way like neutral um or normal (laughs) they shouldn't be normal uh and then the use of coins this thing that is kind of uh invisible object most of the time especially when it's not worth very much um something that ends up in your a uh, little dish when you get home from a trip and you forget about it or you even throw it away because it's unspendable or ends up in a piggy bank forever and ever. Um, these sort of like invisible, um, like implying towards universal uh, objects are something that I'm really, really interested in, as well as universal systems like using the train tracks to destroy uh, coins. It's something that I've done on several countries, lots of different cities in the country in downtown in cities like downtown Toronto. So it's it's sort of finding finding these repetitious spaces is really interesting as this pattern of structure running through like physical space and also through lived space, also through uh, small scale lives and experiences and also global scale capitalist structures. Um, structures of moving materials around so like it's it's a it's a really interesting space to be thinking about using materials for sure this like uh collision of different scales yeah and i'm curious uh how i mean architecture and housing are themes in this exhibition and in your in your larger work but yeah i'm curious just to i don't have a specific question but i am curious to hear you both speak about um, how architecture and housing have sort of influenced this project and Janine, even just the architecture of the city working with the train tracks, right? And in this really direct way, I think it there it's just so faceted in both your, your projects. So I'd love to just hear you speak a bit more about yeah, architecture, sure. about housing. I know housing is obviously a factor as well and just the the sort of difficulties of living in cities and specifically Toronto right now so it's a very immediate topic to bring up (laughs) yeah I think Alex and I have both spent time traveling around partly because we're lucky to do so we may be invited to go somewhere as artists um but also partly out of necessity where it's like uh, I didn't have a home in Toronto for a while, so I bummed around Berlin and Vienna for a bit. Um, and I've lived in several different houses in Toronto, some of the more amazing live works in like well-known buildings like the Coffin Factory that were live works and weird studios and very, very affordable housing for decades. Um, and then obviously now uh, have been repossessed and turned into condos. Um, and I'm actually, we just won, um, in my old house, I lived in a little building called 17 Patton. That's right next to my studio now, actually, but, uh, we were all kicked out and we just won a case. We won a trial, uh, against the tenants. I mean, against the <laughs> tenants, oh, wow. against the landlords um, for, uh, wrongly, uh, kicking us all out. Um, and, um, 
for totally not taking care of the building. They're uh, slumlords, of course. They have like millions of dollars in property, even though they're actually just a couple of people. They're not a corporation. But anyways, these kinds of experiences of like fighting for housing, meeting all these other strong voices, especially at 17 Pattern, all these people who are really fighting um, for they, they want to actually expropriate this building, um, get the city to buy it and, and turn it into permanent affordable housing. And it's almost impossible. <laughs> Nobody wants to help us. Nobody's available to help us. We have had uh, politicians say they're going to help us and then completely not. They put it on their platform and then they don't do anything. Uh, <laughs> Annabelle Lau, by the way. <laughs> uh, we're hoping for it's a change and become better but anyways uh these kinds of experiences that are like really really familiar for most people who are living below uh the amount you're supposed to be making in toronto to survive here which is something like seventy five thousand dollars a year now uh in order to have a reasonable housing and reasonable uh, quality of life it's just ridiculous anyway so it's a familiar story but i think it is as people who are um, moving around and seeing these patterns elsewhere and seeing these patterns in our lives of losing housing and gaining housing and never having any kind of stability. It has to like filter in through our materials and our, our thinking. Yeah, I would uh, echo a lot of those experiences. Um, and uh, just also with in a kind of movement of place and different experiences and different um city spaces uh over my lifetime has just really reflect is you know is very effective and and um also uh, you know going back to what i said earlier about placeholder for bodies um as architecture as this kind of metaphor um but also as places to house them i in my kind of search to create work which i define as as a through a queer methodology I'm trying to find uh, a visual language that isn't necessarily based on erotics, which is often usually the the case with any sort of queer aesthetic <clears throat> uh, and that representation. And so with with buildings and architecture, there's a there's an inherent uh, representation of the people who of the of the bodies that exist in there, but also that there's a kind of history of the building as a body. In, in a kind of philosophy of space or poetics of space and um, and the history of architecture. And so thinking about how buildings reflect a kind of civic or domestic condition has been a, a way of uh, working for me and a reason why they, they kind of keep coming up uh, in my work visually. And so with the city, of course, you have the tower and and it's it's very phallic nature, of course, too. So uh, thinking a lot in those term in those terms with this with this body of work and with these sort of repeating repeating clusters of towers um, and the kind of reflection the, the way in which the language reflects an experience of those spaces uh, and in, in the in the large CN tower typing, there's also like hidden messages which may or may not be apparent well they're hidden so they're not necessarily apparent but if you look there is some reference to the kind of phallic quality in the masculine impetus i think um with these kind of architectural projects and so they are in it's a kind of reflection of of this kind of gendered space that that uh, architecture often creates and also that it's that there's a um the architecture is sort of understood as inherently normative and so well what happens when there's a inversion of that normativity uh, is it is it destruction is it erosion is it um, implosion inversion so how do how does that kind of become visualized and, and so that's sort of my my work has been really an exploration of what that could be outside of a kind of design principle so and there's there's lots of work in like queer architecture theory of trying to redefine spaces for queer publics which is great and and everything but it's not really what i'm not interested in kind of proposing um new ways of of, of exhibiting or existing in in the world or new kind of ways of public space necessarily but just 
reflecting on what exists and how it becomes politicized or how it becomes uh, how it in, in turn begins to define the people who operate within it or around it and and creates a kind of uh, poetics in and of itself whether or not uh, it's intended yeah it's i feel like you've both illustrated so well how you approach you know so many issues that are contained in a city and and sort of your approach to subverting those sort of more oppressive infrastructures right that exist um inherently i'm curious about the because i'm also curious about spatial presentation right i and it is such a dynamic installation that you've both created there's work you know alex you created the wallpaper and janine you're you have a work hanging from the ceiling and there's a work that covers the floor um, as well as, you know, sculptural pieces and wall pieces. Um, and I'm curious about the process of actually installing the work together. How did the treatment of the space make the exhibition shift into something that is different than the works themselves? I feel like the final product was more than the sum of its parts, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll just say that I think, you know, we just found some found a way that really worked like somehow it just came, it almost came together on its own. Like it was, I mean, not to undermine the project, but it was like a very easy install because it just, we're like, oh yeah, that goes there, that goes there, done. That's you know? so interesting. Just... <laughs> so it was very intuitive. Yeah, it was kind of this magical experience. And, you know, we had kind of toyed with the idea of the wallpaper and then it was just like, you know, like, fuck it, like go big or go home. Like, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had made this booklet which archives that whole series. And so that I had this, I think there's about 21 in in the series. And so I wanted to also display that in some way, but not just have, you know, this one-to-one connection between like the book and the wall. And so I did some, some altercations or alterations, I should say, (laughs) in in the, in the scan bed when I was um, archiving them. And so there's a kind of, so the wallpaper kind of extends the language of this original series, which was kind of this organizing principle for a lot of different projects for myself this, this year, actually. And so this was like one aspect of thinking through this, this body of work and this whole kind of thought process of reflecting cities and cityscapes through language. And yeah, it was just something that, came about like we installed the wallpaper like more or less together and and um i as i mentioned it's something that i've worked with a lot in my work in the past i did a show like five six years ago now uh in toronto where i did something where i also had wallpaper so it's kind of like reflecting on this relationship to um exhibitions in the past but then wanting to really transform this space um from you know basically a basement into uh well fundamentally it is a basement but a small exhibition space into something that was completely outside of itself too and again like bringing the like obfuscating these sort of um interior exterior up up and down uh, basement attic ideas i think that the tower kind of relates to is connecting like a kind of ground or an underground to the sky um Mm -hmm. or up and down and uh you know, we had kind of talked about how many works might work in the show together and and it just sort of came together in this really kind of beautiful and serendipitous way. For at least from my from my perspective. I don't know. Janine, yeah, it sounds what, very right. <laughs> how was your yeah. experience? Oh, same as yours. <laughs> but like I really like how our work uh uses the space and acknowledges the space, but isn't all about transforming it you know like there's like the wallpaper is still white it's still a white walled gallery space um the floor is sort of dirty and that's that's my contribution but I also really like some something that I didn't really think about until I guess recently is like I I really like how in both of our works um there's a shift between close looking and sort of distance looking like there's a nice scale shift um like where you can look at alex's pieces as towers and then you look at them as lists of language um you can think about the the architecture of the space you can think about each sheet of paper 
Um, you can look at my piece and maybe you read the text or notice it or not. Like some people, I don't think get that close to work, honestly. So like there's the nice shift of, of scale, which I also was really interested in, in playing with in my sculptural pieces where I'm using model figures to force a shift of scale from sort of a, a physical embodied scale to sort of a projected imagined scale, sort of like shifts between um, imagine, imagined space or imagined um, embodiments, um, say like the tiny people on the floor, and then the embodied space of someone looking at very small scale sculpture actually. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's such a an important point too, because I think the way that I described it, where I said, you know, there's work on the wall, there's work on the floor, there's work hanging from the ceiling, and it's not really, it, I wouldn't call it by any means a maximalist installation, right? You're not trying to make the space feel different than what it is. I think there's definitely an honesty about where you are, but there is a, a sort of poetic play with the space, which I think you can only do when you address the walls and the floor and, and you know, and the uh, shift in scale, as you say, as well. Mm. And so it's interesting to hear you both speak of about your collaboration because it obviously seems like it was very organic and the installation was probably an extension of something that began as a casual conversation is is sort of what it sounds like. Do you have in mind to work together again? Is this something that's uh, has come up between you two? Well, I think we'd love to, especially it'd be great to try it at a larger scale for yeah. sure. Like I, I love the intimate scale of that basement space. Like I love that it only really fits a couple of people. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a beautiful way to have people look at your work where you, you they're already standing so close to it. They're, they, they don't have a choice. <laughs> they're already in proximity to it. Um, and they're already walking on it physically in this little tiny basement. There's no way around that aspect. Um, and you're already surrounded by the wallpaper. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe like an institution can pick up this show and give us a budget and we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would reiterate uh, what Janine mentioned. Yeah, I would love to sh work together again and, and, and definitely varying scales, you know. I would be curious, I'm not sure, we haven't really talked about necessarily collaborating together on like physical works themselves, but that could also be something that I would be in the future thinking about um mm -hmm. but definitely would love to produce something akin to what we've been able to achieve thematically and formally here in a different scale in a different city in a different environment for sure and yeah, love to and would yeah, you yeah i love that this exhibition sort of implies uh a this city and other city mm -hmm. yeah so you would be interested in an institution and I wonder if you would be interested in a public space like a downtown city space as well would that translate for you yeah I think in any any other like version or any other chance to collaborate again it would change it would shift a little bit yeah. um, I think both of our practices are like quite responsive even though we do have these patterns and repetitions but I think it's I can't work without that like I, I can't be bored <laughs> and I can't work insularly as just a like an artist with a capital A in isolation in my studio with a capital S. Like that's just not how I think of myself. <laughs> I would also say the same. Like I often produce work specifically for the opportunity of exhibition and also responding to the context um, and the space of both where I'm making it and where I'm showing it. And so how those two things correspond together. And so, yeah, any I think any opportunity to do something together again would be definitely very welcome. And also the idea of doing like a public work or installation would be, be fantastic because also it would just generate a whole different set of you know processes and, and um, I think also aesthetic considerations as well. Mm -hmm. And, and functional too, an audience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, scale for sure. Like having this sort of kind of practice that Alex and I both have that he mentioned, where we we really kind of work towards each each project. Like each project creates its own body of work, and that's something I think for both of us that has been very very generative and like this great way of making 
work that feels for us and hopefully our our viewers, our audiences, um, like fresh and uh, improvised in a in a in a great way. <laughs> but it's also completely one of these things that's also of necessity. It's also an economy of means that's completely required when you live in a city like Toronto, like and when you don't have lots of inherited money, um, like or any. <laughs> so like where. <laughs> That I, I can't make sculpture and store it because I, I can't store it and I, I can't produce uh, expensive objects, period, unless there's some kind of budget involved in an exhibition, which is so, so rare. So like it's another one of these pairings of uh, a requirement of working within uh, limited means and also something that uh, hopefully turns into a uh, positive. Yeah, it's almost kind of like the chicken and the egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. What came first, the the really great art or the poverty? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I always end on asking what artists are reading right now, or if there was any text that uh, particularly influenced their work that we're presenting right now. So I'm extremely curious to hear your answer to this. I can tell you I'm reading this book right now called Half Earth Socialism by Choi Vitesse and Drew Pendergrass. Um, it's from Verso Books and it's really good. It's really charging up these ideas of me of wanting to look more deeply and in depth into uh, literary utopias. Um, they're talking about creating in this book their own very well-researched, precise model for a socialist world and it involves turning half of the earth uh into a real rewilded space so returning it to nature as a nature preserve so humans don't go to half of the earth and a huge change uh to um renewable resources of course and global veganism is this other thing but they also say that um the point of the book is not to present the right the right path the one true politics the one uh the one way that this could possibly work they're more interested in creating in generating this dialogue and generating this um this uh desire to uh think about potentials to think about change to think about um reality is always provisional and to think about uh futures um even ones that we don't know how to get to and um, for me, I'm reading this book called Dictate by Teresa Hak Kyung Cha, uh, which is the author's last book before she was actually uh, murdered um, in the 80s. But I, I came across her work. I mean, I've heard of her work before, and it's sort of a collection of po poetry, prose, and found and kind of manipulated imagery and text um, based around her ancestry as a Korean, uh, I think she was first generation Korean American. It's a really beautiful narrative kind of, well, not even narrative, it's like different vignettes, I guess, of nar narratives based around um, col uh, colonialism, like uh, Japanese uh, colonialism in the war, and um, also kind of reflecting place and space and language in the context of the Western world in, as a someone from somewhere else. And um, I, yeah, I, I had heard of her work before, but I recently uh, was in New York in, in the summer and she had a, a very prominent section of the biennial at the Whitney Museum of American Art, so the Whitney Biennial, um, that really focused on her concrete poetry work. And so I was quite interested in in her work from that, from the, looking at that that exhibition and, and that representation and thinking like wanting to know more. So I picked up her, that book there and have been kind of looking through it ever since, thinking through its, its poetic interpretations of identity really. And also in relation to those, to those works on exhibit, how ephemeral they were and thinking about also yeah, just thinking about how um, bodies of work become archived after after death, and also the intent of that. Um, thinking about what is productivity. <laughs> yeah, so I can't really speak so much about more than that, but it, it's just been this interesting, very meditative process of reading and reflecting. Very beautiful. I recommend it. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. Uh, it was wonderful to speak together about your exhibition, which actually has 
been extended to January 14th, uh, 2023. So people have a bit more time in the new year to come and see it. So thank you. It was, it was great to speak with you both and till next time. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's been great to chat and I really appreciate the invitation and thanks everybody. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, thanks. So thanks for joining us. You have been listening to the Cooper Cole podcast available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple podcasts. Cooper Cole is a contemporary art gallery in Toronto, Canada, established in 2012, representing emerging and mid-career Canadian and international artists. This podcast is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Magdalene Asimakis, that's me, with thanks to Simon Cole and the gallery team. The soundtrack was composed by the Toronto-based artist Timothy Yannick Hunter. For more information about us, please visit coopercolegallery.com or email us at info at coopercolegallery.com. You can also find us on Instagram at the handle coopercole. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.